morning, good evening, and good afternoon. How are you guys doing on this lovely Sunday evening? Oh, God, can't believe it's another week gone by. It's already August, about to be September. God, this year is moving out way too fast. Anyway, another week, another episode here to talk to you about all the good stuff that's been happening this week. So let's go ahead and get started. Today in the realm of comics, we're going to be talking about a tie-in cover to AXE, which of course is the X-Men versus Eternals and all that good stuff, the main event happening in Marvel. And we're going to be talking about this one, which is called Death of the Mutants, issue one. Now, this comic focuses on the Eternals more than anything, even though it says Death of the Mutants. But yeah, so basically, uh, this is going after and somewhat during the events of AXE issue number two. Now, Cersei, Icarus, and most of the Eternals from the movie are playing a part of forming a resistance against Druig. Now they're told of the plan to resurrect the Celestials, and Phantasmos goes to help Tony, Mr. Sinister, and all that stuff, bring back this dude uh, back to life. Anyway, uh, the rest of the Eternals go to the Deviant Planet to gain information about the dead Celestial, and basically how to make sure not to make the same mistake with the Celestial going all nuclear, which they sort of succeed somewhat. Anyway, while this is happening, Druig is continuing his siege on Kroika. And during this, he's marveling at the Hexes and their power, stating that Uranus held the key to these things and he'd forgotten how much power they held. One of the Eternals is battling the telepaths, like Jean Grey and Dr. Xavier, keeping them occupied. While this is happening, they gather what they need, uh, the Resistance, and Icarus goes to recruit another Eternal, that basically has a stealth suit. They infiltrate where Druig is at and take out a machine and an internal who is basically blocking any of the mutants from getting in or finding out where the Eternals were. They inform the X-Men that it is open and they're good to go and Magic and Wolverine, which is Laura, enter and start going on the offensive destroying stuff. Icarus and the other Eternal take out, takes out the Eternal battling the mutants telepathically and leave Druid to his horror to see that everything is going wrong. And at this time, the Celestial appears and says his whole, I will judge the earth in 24 hours. Druid, now super worried, says he's going to talk Uranus and the comic ends. Now, I mean, after all things, this was basically a setup comic trying to set up the events of what's going on within the realm of AXE. And I mean, it's okay. I really understand that this is more of a build up, like I said, to the main issue. So I can't wait to see how this all happens with uh, issue number three and some of the other issues as well. One thing I cannot wait for is basically seeing the damage that Wolverine, Laura and Magic does to this uh, the Eternals' main camp, especially with the issue of Uranus being there. Now, one thing I will admit to is I've never been a big fan of the Eternals comics, but for this one, it's not too bad. I will just say that besides the movie counterparts, I don't recognize anybody, but I look forward to see how the other tie-in comics we get uh, come across and we get a better understanding 
We should be getting a Wolverine comic, a Spider-Man comic, and a bunch of others. So again, can't wait to see how that works. Anyway, we're gonna next. We're gonna be diving into the Flash issue seven eight five. Yep, seven hundred and eighty five issues. By God, I guess the Flash doesn't take a break. Anyway, uh, this is going to be a tie-in to the Dark Crisis event that we've been reviewing. Now, uh, this comic uh, basically takes place around after the other Flash comic I reviewed, where they're trying to look for Barry Allen, and they go through the multiverse, but each of the Flashes basically end up in separate worlds. The only person who found Barry was Wally. But the world he was in distorted his mind into thinking that Wally was Thawne. Barry tried everything, well not tried, but tired of everything Thawne did, was ready to kill him. While this was happening, Mr. Terrific was convinced by Wally's wife to send her to help every get everybody back. He's reluctant, but agrees, and when she goes in, she appears where Wally was and punches Barry, which was actually kind of funny. But knocks some sense into him, and he realizes that Thawne is an illusion, and that it's Wally he has been fighting. He apologizes, and the three of them go to find the others. The twins are in a Gotham-like central city, where they meet a kid who helped them escape from the Night Flash, who is basically Batman and the Flash combined. He tells them the or- origin story, which is similar to Bruce's, except... Instead of an alley, uh, they are killed in their version of Wayne Tower. So I guess Allen Tower, maybe? After Barry's father comes up with a special serum, which has healing capabilities. The crime boss who wants to kill uh, their, his parents and get the serum basically threaten uh, Barry's mom's life and Barry's. The crime boss, tired of waiting, wants to do an example, shoots Barry's mom, kills uh, her in front of Barry... And before anything else can happen, a lightning strikes the chemicals that are near him and basically apparently kills everyone. But Barry, he heals, becomes super fast and becomes like the Batman version of the Flash. Uh, The kid convinces the twins to try to stop Night Flash, saying that he is a dictator and he uh, is evil. But when they try to, it is revealed that the crime boss who is responsible for everything was the kid. He ended up getting super speed as well but ages backwards. The kid escapes, but not before picking up one of the twins' teleporting watches and talks about how he wants to go to a world without Night Flash. Jay and the twins say their goodbye to Night Flash and leave, and they end up catching up with the others. Barry says he's not going back with them, and he's going to try to find the rest of the Justice League in their own dream world, which is kind of cool, and it opens it up to some interesting situations. And it actually reminds me of... uh, Justice League episode where everyone except Batman and Martian Manhunter were in their own dream worlds and uh, Martian Manhunter went into these dream worlds to save them. It's actually a really good episode too. Was it just, yeah, it was Justice League, not Justice League Unlimited. But honestly, I can see the parallels between these two and I'm for it. Now I am looking forward to issue four of Dark Crisis, especially finding out what's going on with Deathstroke and the Legion of Doom. Anyway, uh, that's it for the comic portion. We're going to be talking about TV shows. Now, Warner Brothers is apparently cleaning house when it comes to some of its content and erasing some shows like they never existed, especially one of my favorite shows that got cut early, and my God, I was very sad when it happened, which was Infinity Train. Now, 
one thing that's interesting is that it, the show is no longer on HBO Max, and both WB and Cartoon Network have seemingly erased it, which is weird. Infinity Train was definitely a lost opportunity since the show was amazing, and the story itself was so heart-wrenching, it made you really think about stuff. Looking at different problems for different points of views, and the story and the characters were very likable. And I was so sad when I got cut off at uh, book four, because it clearly had so much potential. And of course, Warner Brothers, being Warner Brothers, basically uh, became Netflix and was like, you know what, we're just going to cut this. Anyway, I am very disappointed that they're apparently erasing stuff, and I'm interesting to see where this all leads up to. Because of course, Discovery and Warner Brothers merging means that they're going to be uh, taking away a lot of scripted shows. Uh, recently, they mentioned that they have no... Um, what's the word? Oh, they have no interest in basically making Suicide Squad 3. But uh, some of the scripted shows are safe. So, who knows? That may change on a dime. But hopefully, we get to see some shows survive this whole HBO Max uh, thing. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about The Sandman. And the show is amazing. It's very strange. And I don't know if you guys have read the books. Maybe some of you have. But it depicts the books perfectly. While picking and choosing what storylines to follow. Because if you've read The Sandman. They have a lot of different storylines throughout the entire books. So it was smart to pick and choose from a couple. Now it's interesting because a lot of these characters show up for only one episode and they don't show up again like um De- death of the endless uh some of the other characters like mark hamill's ones with the pumpkin head and some of them do reappear like desire and um my god i forget the other one anyway one thing that's cool about this method is that they introduce these characters who have big story arcs in the books and kind of hint at they, that they're going to be playing something bigger for their seasons when the other storylines are explored. Now, between all of the episodes, my favorite so far has been episode 6. The story with the death of the Endless was fantastic and showed the different perspectives to life, especially when it showed people she took and their reactions. But the cherry on top about this entire episode was the added story with Dream's best friend who made a commitment not to die. And with each hundred years, you see him and Dream talk. And at the end of the episode, after he missed his initial meeting, with him being trapped, he found him. And they looked at each other like best friends and just smiled. It was very nice. It was very heartwarming. And I honestly can't wait for more seasons. Because that was a great episode. And I think I found Netflix's next Stranger Things. If they play things right. God, please let them play these things right. Anyway, uh, that's it for TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies. Now, uh, I got to say, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies had absolutely, absolutely no right to be that good. I was in awe, very much awe during the entire movie. Now, I was expecting something to be good. I mean, the trailer made it look like it was going to be fun. But when I saw the movie, I mean, I listen, I'm just going to be honest. When I saw the show, 
It was okay. It wasn't that good. It just didn't really live up to, of course, my opinion, the best version of the Ninja Turtles, which was the 03 series. But the movie just showed how much potential the show could have gotten if they went a more serious route and the potential the future had for this. Now, the animation, even in the show, was smooth, colorful, reminding you, reminded me of an anime animation. It was really good, especially the intro. If you ever watch the show, it's very smooth and does everything in one take, sort of. But the action scenes in this movie were great. They didn't overdo anything with the jokes. And a lot of the movie was emotional and dark, which was great because the show was just giddy and happy. Nothing really dark at times, but the movie just changed that, especially when dealing with the danger of everything. Now, one thing I did like, and they did change it, and it wasn't a bad thing, was they basically changed Casey Jones and the reasoning why he was with the Turtles. So they basically made him into like the John Connor or Kyle Reese, where he's from the future. And he gets sent back to uh, warn the Turtles and stop the Krang from invading. Now, the Krang was an unexpected joy. Now, I mean, in the previous series, uh, the one from uh, 2012, and even sometimes in the 03 series, they weren't that vicious. They weren't that powerful. Even in the original 87 Turtles, they weren't that big. They were just, oh, it's the Turtles and all that stuff. It's the Krang, the Krang with his suit. We just kick him and that's it. In this movie, the Krang were vicious and dangerous. And for a while, like, no one turtle could take down a Krang because they were just that that dangerous. They were that wild. And it was great to see the Krang not being joke villains and actually being feared. Especially uh, when it came to how easily the Krang, at least one of them, could hold their own against the turtles. And at the end, after attacking the main Krang with everything they had... He flicked them away with his suit and barely had a scratch on them. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is the ending. Now, of course, this is going to be a non-spoiler review for those who haven't seen the movie. But one of the turtles uh, basically pulling a sacrificing move. It was just incredible. The art, the just everything. The fight scenes kind of reminded me of like a fast-paced anime. And the voice acting. The voice acting was superb. Like I said, if you are a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but was not a fan of the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show, I recommend watching this movie because it will change your perspective. Because everything was great. Even the kookiness was great. Anyway, I'm uh, going to be moving on to another movie I saw, which I wasn't expecting to be that good, was Bullet Train. It is by far one of the most chaotic, fantastic movies I have ever seen. Very unique as well, which is a breath of fresh air because everything seems to be about the same. Now, one thing I will say is I didn't know what to expect when coming into this movie. I knew it was going to be like, oh, there's a bunch of these assassins, blah, 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 from the trailer in a train and that's it. But that was a good thing. Because not knowing what to expect played to the movie's benefit. From Brad Pitt to the other actors to some surprise cameos. One, I, I honestly just can't compare it to any other movie. 
and the action sequences were brilliant and so was the writing i'd like the jokes kind of honestly it kind of reminded me of a guy Ritchie movie like uh two stocks and barrels i think i said the title right but it, the comedy kind of reminded me of that and it was great the comedy also didn't seem forced and everyone except a few people are just insane uh, Brad Pitt was again awesome, and you couldn't. I couldn't help root, uh, but f- to root for him in the movie. And you honestly can't tell who's gonna live or die. I really hope this spawns sequels. I actually didn't know this until I looked into it that this was based on a book, and I hope there are other books with some of these characters in different situations because it's fun. And I learned something very interesting about butterflies. They are good luck in uh, Japanese culture. Learn something new every day. And one last thing. I didn't expect Thomas the Tank Engine to play a significant part in this movie. But it's just funny. But anyway, that's it for that. I'm going to be talking about Dragon Ball Super. Superhero. Now, I went to see this yesterday with a few friends. Wow. Again, non-spoiler review. The movie itself... It's just incredible. I saw it in IMAX, and if you guys want to do yourselves justice, please see it in IMAX. The sound, the action, the music was just superb. And throughout the entire movie, once you get past the CGI in the first five minutes, the movie is just enjoyable. It really is. And I couldn't help but laugh at so many of the stuff that was happening in this movie, but in a good way. And for it being... Uh, the main people being Piccolo and Gohan was just a fresh of breath air because you're like, oh, Goku's going to be this. Goku's going to do that. Oh, Vegeta's going to do this. But with Piccolo and Gohan, it kind of felt like those early seasons and stuff like that. And it was great. All the characters, the new characters were enjoyable. It didn't go the way I expected it to, which was fun. And uh, for timeline wise, uh, I was actually arguing with not arguing, but talking with my friend about this. Because I was originally told this took place three years after the Tournament of Power, but looking into it, it takes place about four months after Broly. So, if you're reading the manga, this is probably before the Granola arc. Probably just before. Because, uh, I guess this is manga spoilers, maybe not, but... I, I mean, honestly, you know about it if you're you know, on Facebook and other social media. But Frieza has a new form, and they're still talking about Jiren, so my guess is that... Uh, uh, what's my call it? This takes place right before the granola arc, which is great because if uh, they do Dragon Ball Super 2, they can just go straight into the manga arc and be like, oh, yeah, this movie takes place between these two and we don't have to redo the entire movie in the freaking uh, what's my call it and uh, the show. Because as much as I did enjoy Resurrection of F and Battle of the Gods, them doing the entire show over those two movies, it was kind of boring. I get they had to fill in some of the space for the uh, show with the, the movie, the two movies. But honestly, I really hope when they do Dragon Ball Super 2, they just skip that part and just go straight to where the manga begins. And it'd be like, oh yeah, Broly's here, Broly's doing that, and all that stuff. Anyway, moving on. We're going to be going into video games. Yay! Now, speaking of uh, fighting games, there's going to be a new... Dark Soul-ish game called Black Myth Wukong. And the gameplay trailer has been released and it's very 
uh, similar to, well, the main character is very similar to the Monkey King, uh, who is also uh, named, funny enough, Sun Wukong, <laughs> the title of the game. But in the game, uh, the main character is a monkey humanoid called the Destined One. I guess they really didn't want to say, hey, this is Song Wukong for whatever reason. But a lot of this, uh, this takes place in a forest. And a lot of the monsters and the myth come from and are based on Chinese folktale. Now, this is kind of cool because this game looks amazing. It's made in Unreal Engine 5. And with it being based on Chinese folklore, it should be cool. And be good for those who aren't familiar with Chinese folklore to learn exactly uh, uh, what the monsters in the folklore hold, the creatures, the different stuff. Because honestly, I'm more familiar with the Greek, Romans, more the Western uh, folktales and creatures. So learning something from the Eastern side would actually be kind of cool seeing what monsters the Chinese have under their beds. Anyway, uh, this game is set to release in 2023 on both consoles and PC, and I hope it does great. Now, for all you sports fans out there, Madden 23 is finally out. For all those five people who are going to spend a hundred and something dollars on the biggest edition and all that stuff. Honestly, it's a Madden game. Nothing really hasn't changed except the roster, and it, again, it's another cash grab from EA. I honestly miss the old football games that were fun. I mean, like street uh, football for the PS2. And it's just like you like I've said before, in my opinion, uh, for the fans, they should just release a game and just update the game with DLC every year with the new rosters and everything else. But again, that's just my opinion. Moving on. Now, this isn't a video game per se, but uh, I'm going to be talking about D&D 1. And because it falls under the geek and nerd lore, and it's a game, I'm going to allow it for this section. Uh, Who knows, maybe I'll put up a board game something section. Maybe not, just add it into the video game section. Anyway, uh, I am a big D&D fan. uh, The one I'm currently on is 5e. And D&D 1 is going to be the 6th edition to where they're going to have new rules and everything else. Now, for D&D, I have been both a player and a DM, and I'm very interested to see uh, what is going to be happening with this new edition. Now, uh, one thing I will say is that the authors of D&D took away evil races, which is interesting and has made other changes. And I'm guessing they're going to expand upon this in uh, D&D 1. Uh, One thing also they're going to do is basically make a way where you can build your own tabletop and area in D&D Beyond, which is the app and the website they use, to where you can uh, build the area, build your own dungeon, edit it, so people can see it in real time and use their imagination, so on and so forth, which is great for a DM. And some of the other stuff they're going to be adding looks great. Now, some of the changes they've also made are kind of strange. Uh, One of the weirdest one is making dungeons wheelchair accessible. Now, I have no problems with uh, Dungeons & Dragons adding wheelchairs to the game for uh, people who want to play as as a reflection of themselves for their character and be in a wheelchair and all that stuff. But I think it's kind of lazy having these dungeons be wheelchair accessible and not having the wheelchairs be enchanted 
or having them be uh, added parts to perform certain actions. Because I get it, this is a land of fantasy, but here's the thing. A dungeon filled with monsters, traps, and other things to keep people out? In just like a logical sense, why would they make that type of dungeon to keep so many people out wheelchair accessible? Just saying, food for thought. I mean, like I said, it'd be kind of cool to have these wheelchairs be able to be enchanted, to do stuff, to perform different abilities. And like, kind of like robes or like it's a different way to adapt. I'm just saying... That would make the most perfect sense, especially in a world with magic, instead of just being like, oh, wow, they get people out, and they made this wheelchair accessible. Why? Again, food for thought. Anyway, uh, one thing I also want to talk about is the new gameplay for Red Hood for Gotham Knights. They released a gameplay trailer, and I'm still very weary about the game. I mean, he looks more smooth, but it's still kind of janky and again they're making him seem very heavy and not exploring and a lot of times he's doing the same moves so i'm still most likely not gonna purchase this game and wait for the reviews or now that i think about it i'll probably just purchase the basic version to play it and see how it goes Uh, i will say though with the extra two terabyte memory that i have since uh, best buy put the two terabyte on special I can download as many games as I want and just play it without deleting the good games because some of the good games I'm going to be playing, God of War, Modern Warfare 2, and maybe some of the others that might come out uh, by then. But anyway, I can I don't have to delete games anymore, which is fantastic. Anyway, uh, talking about games that I don't have to delete anymore because they've gotten so big, Fortnite. Now, for many of those who don't know, Dragon Ball is out in Fortnite right now where you can own Goku, Vegeta, Beerus, and Bulma. And right now, I own three out of the four, which is basically Goku, Vegeta, and Beerus. I don't want Bulma. Really not interested in the character design. I just really wanted the Goku and Vegeta, but bought Beerus just in case my squad wanted to run a full squad with different Dragon Ball characters, and people start arguing who wants to be Vegeta and Goku, and I would just be like, hey, I'm just going to be Beerus. Anyway, the transformations are awesome. I'm collecting the Dragon Balls and power through the quests. So not only can I get emotes, dances, power-ups, and blah, 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 but I can also summon the, the dragon and be able to uh, get a glider with Shenron on it. Really great. I have six of the seven Dragon Balls right now. So I will be able to summon Shenron the next time I play. Anyway... One thing I do enjoy is the fact that they have this area where you can watch Dragon Ball Super episodes. They already have some of the ones picked out already. And it was very fun watching some of these episodes because I haven't really seen Super in a while. And watching with people who haven't seen the show at all. And it was great. Uh, Some people were like, wow, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, this is Dragon Ball. It's cool. It's great. And I can't wait for other Dragon Ball content to come out too. One thing I will say that which is weird, especially with Dragon Ball Super or Superhero movie coming out, that they picked Bulma instead of maybe Piccolo, Gohan, or Trunks. I mean, I guess they wanted to add a female character, but even then they could have picked somebody else like Kale or um, 
I forgot the other one's name, the one who's similar to uh, Broly, but a girl version. One thing they could have done is uh, did the fusion of them, but I just, I get it. Maybe they want to pick like an OG character because Bulma is an OG character, but still they could have picked somebody else in my opinion. I really haven't seen a Bulma character out there. I've seen Goku, Vegeta, and Beerus, but no Bulma so far. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm joining the wrong matches. Maybe there are Bulmas out there. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it from the video game section. We're going to be moving on to movie theories. Anyway, uh, this is a theory, but I guess it's mostly fact now. But I guess Ezra Miller has picked door number one. As we've seen him apologize for his actions. And honestly, I'm I'm making a theory that this is on act. He's trying to get back at a Warner Brothers good graces. And basically be like, hey, this is going to be... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get back as The Flash... Which is weird. I'm surprised he hasn't been arrested since he has that felony charge in Vermont. I think it's Vermont. Is it Vermont? Maybe Vermont. Anyway, I, again, I think it's all an act. And basically, WB is either threatening him or manipulating him uh, to get him to apologize. And I just wonder if Ezra can stay out of trouble. Or if they can escape all the charges that have been brought to them. Either way... I have no idea what's going on in Warner Brothers, and I hope they get their act together. Because my theory is, they're most likely going to drop the movie, because I bet he can't, uh, not he, they, can't stay out of trouble. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I do want to mention something about the Predator timeline. Uh, so I've been talking to a lot of people who seem very much confused, and I get it, with uh, the Predator lore. Now... In my theory, as I stated before, I believe that everything after the second Predator is not part of the canon. Especially, ooh, excuse me, especially not the fourth one. Uh, a lot of people are having a hard time accepting that the original lore may not apply since Disney now owns both Predator and Alien franchises. Because I've seen a lot of people say, oh my god, uh, they're talking about that version of the Yutua, Ayatua. I am very much mispronouncing it. Anyway, the Predator, they're talking about that subspecies, but not overall. And people are pointing out, no, he said that's the first time the Predators go to Earth for the very first time. And people keep bringing back old books. I'm just going to say this now, is that I get it. You're frustrated with them throwing out the lore. Star Wars fans had to suffer through it when they took out the expanded universe. But it's for the greater good, because a lot of times, especially in the movies... The Predator franchise and the Alien franchise contradicted each other, especially when it came to Alien vs. Predator. My guess is that Disney is trying to set a precedent and a solid timeline like they did with uh, the MCU and they did with Star Wars. So if they come out with something that is Predator and Alien based, it's true to form, which makes sense, which does make sense. But I get it. There are so many good stories out there. Heck. If you haven't read Predator, Fire and Stone, or Life or Death, uh, that's not Predator. It's like Alien vs. Predator. They are fantastic books, and I hope they are kept in the lore. Because it's set in the future. So, I mean, there's nothing really saying, oh, it couldn't have happened, and blah, blah, blah. Right now, we just know that Prey is the first time the species in its whole comes to Earth. So, everything before 1725, I think this movie takes place, is non-canon. After that, 
Maybe not, but I know the fourth movie is definitely not canon because that one sucked. God, I could go on hours, but I'm not going to. Anyway, uh, that's it for movie theories. Moving on to current events. Now, uh, funny enough, when I was sitting down eating a croissant, I was looking at the news and seeing two tourists surfing on the canal in Italy. Now, they were talking about how the mayor was looking for them to get them in trouble because it was illegal what they did. And I just got to, I kept thinking to myself, this is very dumb. Why are they doing this? They're probably trying to get for the likes or subscribers to TikTok or whatever. And the one thing that came to mind is like, God, watch these guys be from America. I mean, people already hate us. Why not just add more fruit to the litter? Anyway, uh, one thing I loved was the fact that the mayor offered free dinner to those who turned them in or revealed their identities. I'm just thinking to myself, what dinner, like, what's involved in this dinner? Is it going to be, like, from a very fancy restaurant, a restaurant of your choice? Or is this man going to send you a chef that's going to prepare lasagna, bolognese? Ooh, I can go from some pasta bolognese right now. Ooh, or cannolis. I can really go for those. Anyway, uh, but basically, yeah, if someone got, they, they got arrested. So I guess someone turned them in and was like, you know what? I want to eat tonight. Let's turn them in. (laughs) Uh, yeah. But like I said, they haven't uh, released if these guys are from the good old USA or they're from another country, but I would be very surprised if they weren't from America. Anyway, uh, one, the second thing I want to talk about, it is, uh, been a quiet hurricane season so far, but the season is not over. Uh, I hope people are prepared with their hurricane kits or have something else prepared just in case something were to happen. I will say that for me, I have a solar powered and cranked powered radio just in case things get dicey and I'm without uh, electricity. Uh, I would definitely recommend for those who want to prepare for hurricane season to get solar powered based items just in case for the aftermath, or if for whatever reason you can't go outside, get a crank powered uh, stuff as well, like a crank power radio, something that can hold power and you can charge your phones and stuff like that. Uh, because items that are solely reliant on electricity is not that good because electricity can go out or can stay in, it's very unreliable, at least with solar. And crank powered, you have other means of powering your items. Anyway, uh, one thing I'm bringing this up is because the news is talking about a couple of uh, tropical waves that they're looking at. One near Mexico and the other one deeper into the Atlantic towards Africa that may turn into something. So I just want to make sure that people are safe and also very much prepared. Anyway, uh, that's it for today's episode. I think this has to be the shortest episode I've done so far recently ever since i got off of the two episodes per week god that was exhausting no don't know how i did it anyway uh you guys have a good rest of your day please stay safe and i'll be back next week and if you haven't subscribed or given a like please do and tell your friends about me uh yeah that's about it i got nothing oh look my puppy's doing something cute anyway that's it for today's episode you guys have a blessed one good evening Good night, sayonara, and have a blessed day.